Hi, everybody. This is Point and Click Radio. I'm Bob Lawton. I'm Jim Hyde. And we are the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, the place where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and Internet news. Bob broadcasting from, as he said, the uh, satellite studio at the college in Ukiah. Me joining via Zoom from a home studio on the foggy and windy coast. Is it foggy and windy? Um, it's windy. It's always windy. Mm, okay. <laughs> I, I was actually over there last Sunday, and it was beautiful. It was a clear day on Sunday. That was oh, that good. was that was, really that, was nice. yeah, that was the one. You, you were here at the one day. <laughs> you yeah, made the right day. Yeah, actually, I got there Friday Friday evening, and it was pretty pretty windy and cold up until Sunday, and then. It, there you go. Hey, when I was driving over the studio tonight, I was just mentally calculating, trying to figure out how many episodes of the show has been done. Oh, man. You know, I was just thinking back over the history of it, and um, the, the show was originally called Computer Connections at, at, the, at the very first iteration. It was started by uh, Pat Hunt, who worked at the Ukiah Library as a programmer and bookmobile driver, and founder of the uh, Redwood Freenet back then, if any of you old Freenet yeah. folks are back there. That was, that was like 94, was 94, it? I think it was 94, right after it became legal to plug into the internet. Yes, and right. I think our first trial show was on KZYX out of Philo, as Pat and I were guests on the... Um, the ecology hour or something like that, you know, just, wow. just to try to get, you know, get our feet wet. And then we, uh, started the, doing the show in 95. So that's almost 30 years. If let's see, if that was 12 shows a year minimum. And I joined know. in 1997. 97. Yeah. Well, I was, Pat left after six that's months and, years. and, and I was solo for the time between when Pat left and when you decided to join up. And so. I don't know, 30 times 12? What's that? Three That's a lot. Yeah, even just, to, even just uh, you know, because there were times when we took quarters off and stuff like that, but it's got to be at least 1,000 or 2,000 shows or something like that, maybe yeah. even more. Yeah. But, um, you we know. We've covered everything from the early days of dial-up and modems and people dealing with farmers' lines and uh, then through the, 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 the first kind of dot-com bubble when we did shows about free stuff where you could get Almost anything. There was like there was a time when a, a color printer company, Tektronix, was giving away a multi thousand dollar color laser printer. The catch is of course you had to buy the very, very expensive toner cartridge. The toner, but you could life. they would just give you the free yeah. It's because and they knew it was all about, you know, websites were free because of eyeballs. They wanted eyeballs and advertisers and those that was the very dawn of surveillance capitalism and then came yep. Social networks, which all with all of their good and bad and horrors, and um, and you know satellite internet and more broadband and the boondocks and and you know streaming video and streaming audio. We were one of the first shows on the uh, on the on this station to stream. Right? We did a couple of shows from the well, uh, Macintosh Users Group in uh, in Mendocino. Yeah, and and, and, and we regularly Brian. we regularly you put our you put our, our signal up on um, I can't remember the name of the company now. What was Real it? Audio. Real, Real Audio. Real Audio. Yeah, and that was like ninety five, ninety six. Anyway, the point is we're old. We're old. Yeah, we're old and getting older. Doing this for a long time, and, and we've and we've seen a lot of changes in the in the whole industry. And that dot com yeah. bust was was really 
really kind of what shifted things because I think people were realizing if you just threw baskets of money up in the air and people ran by and caught them and went and did startups that everybody would be happily ever after, you know, as, as people, as they were putting up their free sites and all that kind of stuff, you know, and hoping to monetize it through online sales. And then, then Amazon came along and of course, you know, the first, the first, uh, what's that business principle? You know, the first one that establishes the, uh, well, same thing with eBay. I mean, there's, you know, there's only one online retailer that's really successful. That's Amazon. There's only one online auction site that's really successful, and that's eBay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's really only one social media site, and that's uh, the, the one that What's-His-Name runs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, their second-in-command, Cheryl, what's-her-name, is, uh, is, 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 is bailing. Yeah, yeah. She announced today that she's stepping down. Um, she kind of receded into the woodwork in recent years anyway um, with, you know, with uh, with Zuckerberg's new focus on the metaverse and virtual reality and, and all of that. And then also, you know, she had been involved in some of the some of the. Um, you know, more in, in a more behind-the-scenes way, um, some of the you know nasty privacy um, uh, scandals that that Facebook had been involved no. in. So, so she yeah. was behind Mark's um, semi-annual "We're Sorry" tour, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good good way of putting it. Yes. Yeah, that's what and. I but yeah, so and, and yeah, so I mean, that's there is there's other social network stuff in the news tonight, which we will talk about in a minute. But we want to start out by. Um, just letting you know about a new browser. We always talk about browsers on the show, obviously, because so many of us spend so much time in them. And one of the big things that differentiates one browser from another these days, especially, is privacy and privacy-oriented features, whether they block trackers and whether they have ad-blocking features uh, and things like that. Um, one of the things that when someone dares to come out with a new browser in a world that's so dominated by Chrome and then to a lesser extent Safari and Microsoft Edge uh, Explorer, um, when someone dares to come out with a new browser, it's usually around a privacy-oriented focus. And that is the case now. Um, we are here to tell you about a new browser that you can download for free. It's in beta. It's in testing phase, so it might not be 100% reliable, but um, they're free. We always recommend you have multiple browsers because they're all free. And oftentimes, if a website doesn't work in one browser, um, it's worth trying another browser just to make sure that it's not your browser. And, uh, and this browser is called Orion. And you can, if you just uh, go to the search engine of your choice and search for Orion Browser, you'll get to the uh, to its homepage. Um, you can also go to browser.kagi, K-A-G-I, K-A-G-I.com. But again, just doing a search query for Orion Browser is, uh, is, is easier. And it has built-in ad blocking, um, built-in anti-tracking features and um, they call it a, uh, a zero telemetry browser your private information will never leave Orion by default and to protect your privacy and I'm right reading here from the homepage to protect your privacy on the web Orion comes with in industry-leading anti-tracking technology as well as a powerful built-in ad blocker that's right really now, good yeah right now Windows folks are out of luck um, it is right now only a Mac OS and iOS. So your Apple, your Macintosh, or your Apple rectangles, your iPhone, or your iPad um, can try out 
um, the Orion browser. I don't know if they have plans to do a Windows version. I don't know. I think um, I can't remember if the DuckDuckGo. I think the DuckDuckGo browser might be cross-platform. Well, they they might have released the Mac version first because I believe they were building it on the open source uh, foundation that. Apple Safari is built on WebKit because it's one of the least encumbered with, you know, with all the junkware and the legacyware and the um, all the kind of stuff that's in legacy browsers have been around for a long time. Because those those browsers, I mean, they have millions and millions of lines of code in them. They've yeah. just been built up over the years like some yeah. big clunky, you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Transbay terminal, a Transbay tunnel, or something. You know, where you can't just really rip the whole thing out and and put a shinier one in its place. You know, you have to come along and kind of scrape the walls and put put new uh, new coatings on and stuff like that. Yeah, but it's really interesting what's coming on along with the browsers, uh, browsers and the privacy issue. And um, I think I told you that I got the duck.com email. That was an invitation only um, yeah. trial, and it's worked working fantastically because every time i sign up for a new newsletter or a podcast announcement or something like that i use the duck.com address and the email comes into my regular inbox because they forwarded it and it's from the name of the site that sent me the email at duck.com hmm. or or no the name of the site that sent me the email at my address at duck.com so it, it forwards the email and then when you open the email at the very top it says we've just blocked six trackers uh, <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. and it's just as important as email because email is web-based also basically the way the email the body of the email message is rendered on your screen if you have images and graphics and stuff like that is basically the same way that web pages are rendered mm -hmm. and so they can embed all those server-side trackers and things that tell them everything you know like how how warm it is in your house and how you know how many lights you have on in the background and all the stuff that they can can glean from you uh you know using that um that interface so this this privacy yeah go ahead john Reading from the uh, from their FAQ page, um, they note a really interesting statistic, and they link to the the, the, the study. Over seven hundred million devices are currently set up to block online ads, creating the largest silent protest in human history. Oh, I love that! I love that. <laughs> I like that. Yes, that cool? it really is the largest silent protest in human history. Yeah, I don't want to see. Yeah, we're setting all kinds of records. We've got companies that are worth trillions, individuals that are worth hundreds of billions, <laughs> and 700 million people blocking their tracks. Blocking ads from at least one of those people. At least one of those people, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. So um, the other thing we we're going to talk about, and uh, let's see, um, I can't remember. Oh, yes, yes. Um, It'll come back to me in a minute. I found a really, really good um, text editor for Mac, and it was uh, free, and it's been around for thirty years. But I hmm. didn't, didn't write the name down. I'll have to have to look at my oh. have to look at my notes here. I'll, I'll come up yeah, with it later. But um, if you're using uh, most Macs and most Apple devices, you get a free um, text editor, text edit that comes with the Mac OS. And then on the portable devices, they have like a notepad, a notes 
app that yep. lets you type things in and stuff like that. Well, there's also Notepad on the on the desktop too. Notes. Well, yeah, notes, notes, but yeah. notes lets you type things in, but. Um, they both have uh, both text edit and notes are very very limited in what you can do especially if you want to search through you know huge amounts of text or do editing and stuff like that and um there's a gap between those and then the apps you have to pay a lot of money for to subscribe to like microsoft word microsoft office and that kind of stuff so it's sure. it's nice to find the little furry mammals that are scurrying around you know increasing the the basic capability for most users yeah and, well uh, and there's also apple's the the pages word processor is free um for mac os and for uh, that's for true and it's a really really quite lovely word processor um it's got kind of more page layouty type features where you can do you know uh, a photo and have text run around the you know the the shape of the photo and, and things like that and um, and it's and it's surprisingly powerful if you're a Mac person who needs to who needs to write um, check out Pages um, because it's it's nice and I'm also a big fan of um, Google Docs the free Google um, oh yeah uh, Docs feature which again works on Macs Windows tablets phones just about any ever any device except your watch. Um, and uh, and um, and it's free. Yeah, I, and a really nice, elegant, fa you know, fast, um, just nice, clean. Microsoft Word has just gotten to be so just laden down with buttons and dials and ribbons and toolbars and features that four people actually ever need. And it's just uh. yeah, it's cumbersome. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just overburdened with with things. The 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 way you learn to use Microsoft Word is you learn to all the places you don't want to click and all the menus you don't want to go browsing around through and How all the here? all the things you shouldn't do if you try to insert something like a table or a graphic or something because things just get all so you're you're happy with pages as a, as a word processor have you have you been yeah, using I, it much? I use it i use it only occasionally i mostly yeah. use the google docs tools um because they're really great for collaboration if you're working on something with uh with a bunch of people and there's also like online versions of, of pages that you can use through um, apple's icloud um service so um that's true if you need a if you need kind of a really feature rich well you know if you if you want to be able to write do word processing where you're not actually connected to the internet then i think pages is a really great choice for mac sure yeah um the thing about the google tools obviously is that they all your stuff is stored in the cloud so you need to be actually online and connected um there's there's some like offline working modes but to really get the most out of it you need to be online at the time that you're that you're actually using it but i know that gmail scans your mail content for personal information you know which they use to help improve your ad choices but yes. does, does google, do google docs do the same thing your experience i don't know okay um yeah. if you were to read the million word privacy statement oh god <laughs> you, would, you would probably say that you you would probably see that you do grant certain things to yes. google um that is a, obviously a choice you have to make um, i know if you are a company and you're using the g suite you know not free versions that is not the case um so, because I mean, my employer is a very much a competitor with Microsoft. I mean, with uh, with Google, right? And, yes. Um, and yet, we use Google Docs, you know, 
extensively. Yeah. Well, a lot of the a lot of the companies now that so much is done in the cloud, and now that there the, we have a, a a new pandemic that's not so new now, but there's a lot of uh, cloud-based things. I'm especially thinking of like Zoom conferencing and stuff like that that people had yeah. to start using. They have versions, if you get the free version of almost anything, you have to sign the million word privacy statement or, or unprivacy statement. But if you're an institution like a, uh, you know, a hospital or a um, social services organization or anything that involves uh, medical data or people's, you know, personal information, it has to be HIPAA compliant. Uh, right. HIPAA is the health insurance privacy and protection act of like 1996 or something like that and it's one of those laws that amazingly is still in effect and it protects people from having their information accidentally revealed and it's very strict and a lot of these companies like zoom had to clean up their um end-to-end encryption do you remember how zoom claimed they were encrypted end-to-end and it was just from one Zoom server to the other, it was encrypted, but it wasn't encrypted doorstep to doorstep. Yeah, and yeah. they had to clean that up with uh, adding that technology to people that wanted it for commercial type uses where they had to have HIPAA compliance. So, you know, there are ways to keep your information um, contained and, and, and private. But not so much on things like uh, Android cell phones or you know Google searches and stuff like that. They're right. they're, they're tracking everything. Hey, yeah, I, I did, definitely go ahead. If, if you if you have yeah, if you're if you're concerned about you know Google seeing what you're writing, um, then you probably don't want to use GDocs um, and even iCloud's uh, built-in the the online version of Pages might be a better choice because Apple tends to be a more privacy-minded. Yeah, company. yeah. You can't you can't just sit down at anybody's computer and fire up anybody's browser and log into your iCloud account, which is where you access those things like pages and numbers and Keynote and um, even your notes. This is something I'm actually really starting to like about um, Apple's iCloud services. If I uh, even on my little iPod Touch, if I make a note, it shows up on all my other devices automatically. Even mid-edit, you know, you can see it. If you're mid-edit, it's it's doing it through Apple's cloud. And if you're uh, somewhere where you need to look something up, you don't have any of your devices, you can get on a browser and sign into iCloud. But it's not easy. If they don't recognize the computer as one you've used before, recognize the IP as one that's associated with you or whatever they do, because I don't even think they're, they're um, scraping your IP address for some of these things. You have to use two-factor authentication um, right. to log in on a browser to Apple's iCloud to, to view your, you know, iCloud mail or or your notes or any of those other things or look up contacts. And uh, the two-factor authentication sends a code to your phone or your Apple Watch or something like that, you know, and and lets you log in. So they're pretty good about. Um, about keeping all that stuff buttoned down pretty well. I did find the name of that program, the free text editor for Mac. Ah. And uh, I was I had a huge amount of text that I wanted to do some um, search using regular expressions, which is where you use a kind of a, a code to look for word patterns and stuff like that, which Apple's uh-huh. text edit will not do, and none of the word processors will do, although they might have some advanced search place features but um this has been around for a long time it's called sub etha edit 
S U D T H A edit. Have you heard of that one? Oh yeah, yeah, that has been around forever. Forever. It's free and it's a really nice tidy little program. It doesn't quite do all the things that my other favorite Notepad++ which is only on Windows um and I haven't been using it lately because I don't have access to a Windows computer anymore. But uh, sub-Ether, I guess that's a fancy way of spelling Ether, sub-Ether edit. Um, and it's uh, one of those open source um, free uh, text editors. It's a great uh, addition to your um, desktop apps on your Mac if you like to manipulate or scan through or search or... Um, you know, edit large quantities of text and stuff like that. And you can have multiple documents open at a time. I believe if it operates the way most of the other ones do, you can search through multiple documents. It'll actually search through a whole folder full of documents, you know, looking at the included text files and stuff like that. So it's pretty handy. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hey, this is Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show with Bob and Jim. And we're here talking about some general topics. Uh, new browsers, uh, text editors, um, and Apple. I wanted to just quickly mention something about Apple because Apple, you know, Apple gets, um, Apple is probably, of all the tech companies, they're probably the ones that are the most uh, uh, vulnerable to clickbaiting for, for anything. You know, if they want to change their connectors, it's the end of the world. If they <laughs> want to raise the price of their phones by $100, even though, the camera in there is probably worth a thousand dollars more than the one you know from five years ago. Everybody complains, but um, Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple, and um, Time did a series on the uh, hundred most influential pe influential people of 2022, and one of those hundred people was Tim Cook. And the uh, the uh, piece about Tim Cook was written by the widow of Steve Jobs, Laureen Powell Jobs. I'm just going to quote from it really quickly, but I think it does kind of encapsulate where Apple is at, which is I'm still at least more than 50% fond of what they do. You know, <laughs> I'm not 100% fond <laughs> Indeed. Uh, when all they made was Mac computers because those were just basically computers, and they were, and they were very nice for the time. Lorraine writes, uh, Apple is Tim Cook's life work, and in this work, Tim displays mastery. Tim has demonstrated more range in his leadership of one of the world's largest companies than any contemporary CEO. Since Apple's products and policies affect the very character of contemporary life, Tim's job demands not only business wisdom, but also philosophical wisdom. The intense pressure of setting and executing Apple's progression with deep precision and of taking responsibility for the company's effects on society is almost unimaginable. Yet Tim does it with compassion and discipline, turning to nature to replenish his spirit. In the summer, he can be found hiking in our national parks, buoyed by the majesty of the mountains. After more than a decade at the helm, Tim has carved out a place not only uh, as not only one of the world's most admired CEOs, but an exemplar of moral leadership, technological information, environmental stewardship, and humanitarianism. Anyway, um, I agree with most of that. Um, I think Tim still has uh, a lot of business plans that I'm not going to be part of. <laughs> I don't want unlimited access to computer games, nor do I want that bundled in with the 
other things that I might want to have, you know. But um, I think Laureen is right, and I respect her because uh, she's quite wealthy from having been married to to her late husband Steve Jobs. But she seems to not want a lot of publicity, and I know she has does a lot of philanthropic work, but it's not flying out around the world trying to end hunger or cure sickness. I think it's doing yeah. real boots on the ground type, you know, libraries. Arts programs. Well, the Atlantic, the Atlantic Month, the the Atlantic ma- magazine. Oh, right, right. And that is just one of the great magazines of our time. Really? So she's um, keeping Atlantic afloat. Oh yes. Okay. Just in the, in much the same way that uh, you know Jeff Bezos did for uh, the Washington Post for all the good and bad things you can say about, <laughs> you Jeff, can say Bezos. about Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of Apple, very quickly, um, the uh, annual uh, Worldwide Developers Conference is coming up um, in just about six days, five days from now. Yeah. And this is the time when Apple parts the curtain and gives a preview of new versions of the operating system software for its devices, uh, the, the Macs, the iPad tablets, the iPhones, and um, also usually also introduces some new hardware. And so, um, if you are in the market for some Apple gear, um, don't buy it until after the WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, takes place next week. There's lots of rumors for new um, new hardware, a MacBook Air, a, an updated Mac Mini, perhaps a Mac Pro, a high-end Mac, um, maybe an iMac Pro, um, which is um, kind of has been discontinued when the uh, the Mac Studio, the the little um, you know bring your own mouse and keyboard and monitor uh, computer came out a few months ago. Um, we will unlikely not see we will not likely see all of those, but we will be likely to see some of them. So it's worth keeping an eye out. Needless to say, we'll have the details here on Point and Click Radio when uh, after the uh, the um, the Worldwide Developers Conference ends. Yeah. Two weeks from tonight, we'll have a, a show jam-packed with whatever it was that Apple came up with. And I think, you know, I have I have to say my appreciation of a- Apple's technical prowess just probably tripled when I started reading the reviews about the, well, I call it the Mac Not-So-Mini. <laughs> you know, the, the new one, the Studio. It's the Studio, yeah. Yeah, it's the same footprint as a Mac Mini, but it's like three of them stacked on top of each other. I sent you a picture from the Apple Store of a... Yeah. of a studio yeah. and it was yeah. it was an impressive little box and the thing if you get the um i can't even the godzilla version i, I can't remember what yes, it is right. the ultra that's it right the m1 ultra yes. the m1 ultra chip with yeah. multiple cores and all the rest it's absolutely screaming yeah yeah and we i think we last time we were on we talked about somebody that did a review and they found that the um performance output as you added more cores to a process. In other words, they ran a kind of a benchmark starting on one core, and then they compared it to all the other types of uh, computer processors that were available. And every single um, processor, uh, you know, both ones and older Macs, Intel processors and older Macs, other versions of the Intel style processors, as you added more cores, the improvement 
was less. In other words, it was a, a, a diminishing returns as you kept adding more and more and more and more cores. And finally, the overhead of running the system got to the point where you really weren't making any more headway in terms of adding cores to the to the the tasks that were being thrown at the processor. But the new Apple M1 Ultra, which has all these special things that basically took hook two M1s back to back, kind of a you know a, a dual processor with multiple cores on each half of the dual processor every time you added a processor you got the full value of that processor's capabilities added to the total performance which is stunning i said i've never seen anything like that in other words that curve went almost straight up where the other curves were more more gradual were, were tapering yeah. off you know, they're more, more like a parabola, and it was amazing. And I'm hoping that they have a lot, to, uh, not necessarily a new version of the Mac Studio or a new version of the chips. I think they've got the chips pretty well covered, right, for the time being. But I'm hoping they have some technology demonstrations where they use this capability for desktop computers and just, you know, yeah. Yeah. blow your socks off. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you know... Um yeah, that, and that's a really good point because a lot of that performance is not something that a lot of people will notice. You know, if you're doing email and you're doing word processing and you're doing web browsing, um, that kind of just blistering G, G force neck snapping speed will be wasted on you. You won't, you won't, you won't see it. It's, it's a Ferrari on a road where you'll only be driving 25 to 35 <laughs> miles an hour anyway. Right. However, if you are big into digital photography or digital video editing or, or audio production, digital audio production, you know, this software that's out now, even things like Apple's GarageBand and, and Logic, they're recording studios on your computer. With, they, they can produce sounds of symphonies and pianos and basses and every other uh, instrument you can imagine. It lets you overdub and create effects and reverb and all the rest. Things like that, um, video editing programs like Final Cut Pro or Adobe's Premiere, those are the kinds of tasks that really make processors work up a sweat. And that's when you really will see the performance benefits of, um, of, of, the, uh, of those faster, higher-end chips. Oh, yeah. um, even, even the regular M1 chip, I think I mentioned to you, my wife uses Final Cut Pro uh, right. pretty often to do video editing. And one of the last things in a video editing project is exporting out the final project in some format that you're going to post on a website or give to somebody or whatever. Um, and on a Intel iMac, not a particularly old one, a couple of years old, exporting a project caused the fan to spin up and, you know, it would sound like a helicopter and like it was getting ready to take off and it would take 10, 15 minutes to export it. On her 13-inch M1 MacBook, it happened in like 30 seconds. It was just like, pink. And it didn't sound like helicopters coming. And, it, and, and, and the fan never even came on, or if it did, she didn't yeah. hear it. No, yeah. no, I know. That's, that's the kind of thing where that the real performance, the other great thing about those M1 chips and laptops is incredible battery life. And of course, that's great for everybody, even if you're just doing word processing and web browsing. But um, for the performance, the speed advantages, it's in, in places like that, audio and video and, um, and, and 3D rendering, people were creating visual effects. Um, like software developers who are compiling big applications, 
that's the kind of thing where you really see the benefit of that of, the, of those chips. Oh yeah. Um, back in the old days, if you were like a three D graphics artist and you were doing three um, D uh, models or three D creations, uh, a lot of times you would have to work in what's called wireframe, where you just kind of outline what it is. Yeah. And if you want to see what it really looked like, you had to do a rendering cycle, and that could take from minutes to sometimes hours or days, depending. Absolutely. Sure. And, and that's all you could do. You could do okay. Well, let's see what this looks like, and you had to wait for the thing to chug along, but. Now that stuff is happening so fast with these powerful um, CPUs is that you can work in real time with things already rendered. You know, it's like rendering in real time as you use it. And that's, those are just, uh, you know, um, logarithm, what is it, what it's called? Exponential or exponential improvements really in the real time use of these devices, which is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, and and then of course you know the other thing that that kind of processing power makes possible is another thing that has that has been rumored that Apple's been working on for a couple of years now, and that is some kind of a virtual reality or augment, augmented reality headset. Um, this is a this is an increasingly big thing. The Oculus. Um, VR headsets that are made by, um, well, Oculus, but a company that's owned by Meta. Now owned by uh, Meta, words, yes. Facebook. <laughs> and uh, Sony has a, has one, and there's another one called uh, The Vive from HTC. They are really, really getting popular. They are selling in the millions now, and they are really actually pretty amazing and cool. Um, uh, we have one of those Oculus um, devices, and there's a miniature golf game that is just ridiculously fun. And we play with, you know, a friend in Seattle and, and, and my wife's sister in Long Beach. And we're all in the same little miniature golf course. And we see each other. Do you actually time. see each other out there on the course and stuff like that? Well, we that? see a digital, an avatar. Yeah. Oh, of course, it's an avatar. Yeah, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you're talking, you know, and you're, you know, cheering people, cheering on your, your competitors when they get a hole in one and things like that. Um, and there's video, there's, you know, um, 3D, 360 degree, um, I mean, you're a quick time VR fan. Yeah. 360 degree uh, videos that sure. are on YouTube are mind blowing. They're ridiculously cool. All of that stuff right now, though, is like cell phones were in 1982. They're the size of a brick. Okay. And it really feels like, you know, after an hour or so, which is about when the battery dies, because it uses a lot of processing uh, power. Yeah. It kind of feels like you've been wearing a, a you know, a, a, a squash on your forehead. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it, it really gets fatiguing. And Apple has been rumored, very strongly rumored, to be working on some kind of a headset for the last few years now. And they've even trademarked something called Reality OS. And so it's only a matter of time. And the kind of processing speed that is in those Apple Silicon chips and the kind of battery life that those chips provide are really kind of a perfect mix for a headset. Yeah. It's just really easy to imagine. Look how the phone industry was transformed when the iPhone came out. Look how the music industry was transformed when the iPod came out. Apple's obviously working on a product that they believe will have the same impact on VR and augmented reality. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to watch. We might not see it in um, June. We might not see it next week, but um, we're going to see it. No, you know, they might give us a peek at something. I was listening to the hosts of the Macworld podcast 
podcast earlier today. And apparently, Apple has these shoebox LLCs, is what I call them. You know, they're post office boxes in Delaware. And to kind of keep some of the stuff under wraps when they have to start applying for things like trademarks and patents and, you know, design copyrights and stuff like that, these uh, shoebox companies will go ahead and file for them, even though their companies at some P.O. box in Delaware, they're actually owned by Apple. And sometimes they actually have to transfer things. So these, uh, the people that are rumor, you know, Apple rumor mongers are always looking for activity on these types of things. And apparently they did move some, um, trademarks or intellectual properties recently, but it may have just been a coincidence. It might, might have just been some of their legal housekeeping, but who knows, you know, nobody seems to think they're going to come up with a full blown, uh, device uh, next week at WWDC. But, you know, Apple's been known to surprise us. Absolutely. <laughs> they have Absolutely. come up with some stuff. I, I'm just, I'm really hoping for um, some new Apple apps that are at a level of logic or, of course, Apple didn't originally program logic, but basically they they moved it way beyond where it was when they acquired it. They made it, it usable. It, yeah. was, a, it oh. was a powerful but unbelievably hard program to use a it's still part. it's still a, yeah very cranky and a lot of fun very buggy too and it's still got a steep learning curve i mean especially compared to garage band which i just i adore garage band it's just like uh, you know i used to play with tape recorders in my mom's basement you know, oh yeah growing up and overdubbing and you know bouncing from track to track and the idea that you can do that stuff on a computer that you can do it on your phone because yes. of version of garage band on your phone yeah, um, multi-tracker. More features and better audio qualities than you know than anything that you know my dad even had in his recording studio oh. in the in the in the forties and fifties. Jim, 60s. imagine if your dad imagine if your dad or the Beatles had had iPhones to record on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's it's insane. It's it's crazy. Well, well, we'll we'll have a you know we'll have a full disclosure in two weeks when we find out what they're going to do. But there could be yeah. there could be some big surprises, and uh, like you mentioned earlier, there may be things like laptop they seem to to throw a lot of their higher end stuff that's of interest to the developer community out yeah and if you remember when the m1 chip first um arrived it was only available for developers in a version of the mac mini and you had to like give them a big deposit and they would send one to you and you, you had to sign away your life that you wouldn't, uh, you know, sell it on eBay or anything like that, yeah, exactly. and and that was uh, announced at WD, WDC when they were were coming up with the transition from Intel to the M1 chip. Does Apple still ship any Intel-based products? Oh, the uh, Mac Pro is still shipping. Mac Pro, yeah. The Mac yeah, Pro, yes, they do. and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have one Mac Mini that has Intel in it. I believe it has an Intel quad processor. Yeah. And it's I can't remember what it is about that one why they still do it. There's a lot of places that that do. Uh, it's called server co-location where you um, send a uh, server to somebody and they put it on their rack down in San Jose or wherever right. you know where those are you know or in the downtown Manhattan where there's high speed. Uh, and those co-located uh, servers, Mac Minis are really really popular if somebody wants to run the Apple platform. Sure. This is Point and Click, and you're tuned to KZYX Philo, KZYZ, Willits, and Ukiah. It's Point and Click Radio with Bob and Jim, and we should go to the phones, because there might be people out there that have some 
questions about things like um, browsers or software or WWDC, Worldwide Developer Conference. And again, this year it's going to be virtual for the participants, but they are staging a live event at the uh, spaceship down in uh, Cupertino. Uh, for uh, selected audiences, I guess, and they're going to have a keynote, so we'll have to uh, have to pay attention to what's going on with the keynote because I think they're going to broadcast it live from uh, Cupertino. Eight nine five two four four eight. If you have any questions or comments or want to call, eight nine five two four four eight here on KZYX Point and Click Radio. We'll be around for about another 20 minutes and uh, talking about computer issues. And we're here to answer your questions and give you advice if you need it. I have some advice for somebody with an old iPad that doesn't work. There are third parties that actually will repair iPads. And I had a friend that sent one in. And uh, it was an original 12-inch, 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And the person did a perfect perfect job of repairing it i was was amazed it was like a brand new ipad i can't remember the name of the service but a lot of times if you go if you go into a local shop they have um they use those people as like contractors to do repairs so if you have an older device that you're attached to that you have um, a lot of stuff on like photos and you don't want to lose it and think it still has usable life um repair is a good idea and that was something else we should talk about too repair is uh I don't know how to, how to phrase it. R- repair is something that's thre- that's uh, going extinct in a lot of ways. You know, the yeah. idea of repairing things. But there's a huge movement um, from almost every corner. People that are concerned about the environment and about toxic waste and about um, just uh, you know plastic waste and things E-waste. like that. E-waste, yeah. Yeah, not to mention all the uh, heavy metals and and strange things they use uh, to put into these devices. To extend the life of them is to cut down on the uh, impact on the environment. And so there's a huge right to repair movement. And it's not just for people to keep their phones running a few more months or weeks or months or years, but it's also, turns out, for people that use products from some corporations, it's farmers being able to being able to go out and harvest their crops with their tractors and make sure that they're running. And um, who is it that's doing that? That's bricking the tractors. What company? John Deere, I think. Was. It is John. You're right, John yeah. Deere. Yeah, there's been a lot of. Uh, not so dear. Yeah, not so dear anymore. I mean, they used to be one of the nation's premier brands for supporting their. Uh, but this it's this not just John Deere there's um, almost every um major automobile now you can't really repair it yourself or go to your local shade tree mechanic to repair it they have yeah. um they have things in place that prevent user repair and um there's been a lot of criticism about Apple of users not being able to repair their devices but because of the incredible amount of public pressure, um, Apple actually made it possible for you to repair your own iPhone. Do you want to describe the yeah. process, Jim? Well, just briefly, there was an article in the New York Times. Uh, the headline is perfect. I tried Apple's self-repair program with my iPhone, and disaster ensued. Um, the, the, the writer um, 
had a broken iPhone and decided, uh, and this is, uh, um, his last name is Chan, I forget, he's the, he's the technology columnist, Brian Chan, um, for uh, the New York Times. And he um, thought he was going to try it. So there is a, um, there is a self-repair kit that Apple will ship to you. Um, you have to put a $1,200 hold on the, they put a $1,200 hold on your credit card, and you get 75 pounds of repair equipment, which arrive at your door in two hard cases. The process was then so unforgiving, I'm reading from the article here, that I destroyed my iPhone screen in a split second with an irreversible error. And um, and he actually even had the help of a independent phone repair technician in San Francisco, one of these uh, people who you were just describing, Bob, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was very negative on the kit that Apple provided. He wrote, uh, the, the, the repair person said, quote, they set up the customer to fail. So, um, and, and Brian Chen, the writer, says the self-repair program I include I concluded is impractical for most people. For starters, the cost of renting the equipment and purchasing parts from Apple was more than an Apple store charge to do the job. And as my experience shows, the process was challenging even with Apple's tools. Boy, so yeah. What do you make of that? Well, I mean. It's true that I, you know, I've never, I haven't dared to open an iPhone to try to replace a battery. I did successfully replace the battery in my old MacBook um, Air, like a 2009, one of the first Airs. Right, um, because it has. That was a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah. But at least that stuff's not doesn't exist on the subatomic level. You know? Right. A phone is so tiny, and it's all glued together in weird ways, and and all that, and. <clears throat> Honest, I, I fully support the whole right to repair movement. I think it's it, it's it, it's it's right. You know, people will get rid of phones because the battery is dead or because the screen is cracked, and that stuff can be easily and inexpensively fixed. Maybe not by you, the user, but from by either an Apple Store or your your phone provider's um, repair plan, or from one of these independent organizations, uh, companies that's that's that's, that's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so you know, although I support it in 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 theory, the fact is that you know technology is so miniaturized these days and so complex um, that um, it's really a uh, it's an iffy proposition. Well, not only that, there's a lot of pushback from uh, corporations and um, other special interests that don't want you to repair your devices. Now, the whole thing with Apple's repair kit, I think I did read uh, one writer's take on it. He tried the same thing that Brian Chen did, and this guy actually had really good luck with everything up to the point where he tried to activate the phone. And then the battery had a software lock that he couldn't unlock until he some... I can't remember how he solved the problem. He had to contact some third-party uh, supplier or something to get a code. So it wasn't just putting in the battery. It was putting in the battery and then telling the mothership that the battery was authorized to be there, you know, one of those right, things. Right. But the other thing is there's a lot of pushback from all these special interests, like the John Deere, Deere Tractor uh, company and so forth. And this is from um, last Thursday, May 19th, news release. 
California right to repair bill dies in Senate committee. Broad public support for the reform was not enough to overcome industry opposition. The California Senate Appropriations Committee failed to pass Senator Susan Eggman's right to repair bill, SB 983, on Thursday, which would have significantly expanded California's access to the parts, tools, and service information needed to fix consumer electronics and appliances. Wow. So it died in committee. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, huh. You know, the arguments against it, I, I think Apple's thing with the, the two Pelican cases and the you know, the $1,200, um, you know, security deposit that make sure you return the tools, it's just kind of a fig leaf saying Apple really doesn't want you to repair your own devices. But, well, if you really, really want to do it, this is what you have to do, you know. And it's really, I mean, talk about, you know, not a, not a particularly environmentally friendly alternative to, you know, e-waste. Um, you know, a, a big brown truck has to pull up into your yes. driveway, unload 75 pounds worth of gear, and then send it back after you've hopefully successfully repaired your phone. Um, yeah, no. That's not environmentally, it makes no sense. The, it, it, it really doesn't. The overhead and shipping those cases and, and even just manufacturing those cases, the you know, the energy and and all that, the manufacture, the, those two cases probably would repair 300 iPhones if they just had to send you a battery in a little padded envelope and you just had to take out 20 screws, you know? That's the thing. The devices are designed to almost be impossible. You know, one on a 10 scale of of ease of repair, uh, according to iFixit, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. So I, I do want to give a shout out to a um, to a, a nationwide franchise um, company that does a lot of device repairs, um, and that is You Break I Fix. You wow. Break I Fix. Um, you can you can find them at YouBreakIFix.com. They have something like seven hundred locations around the country, and um, and let's just look and see what the closest one is to California. They have eighty four here in California. Um, I, I don't think they have one in Ukiah. <laughs> they have one in, uh, yeah, I don't know where the closest one is. There are, there are, there are a bunch of them around, um, around uh, the Bay Area, obviously. Um, but they also have a mail-in option where you uh, they have a very kind of cool little wizard that walks you through you know what kind of device you have um they choose the brand is it a tablet is it a notebook is, is it a phone um what is the problem you know water damage broken screen something else don't know <laughs> um <clears throat> and they will send you a mailer where you can you know um, send your device to them to be fixed I've used them a couple of times while traveling um, back in the for- before times when I used to go back oh. east to visit family. Wow. I broke my iPhone screen a couple of times, and I went to one of their um, outlets, and um, for something like 75 bucks or 80 bucks, they replaced my uh, phone screen perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, an organization like that, and, you know, if your phone is battery is dying, it's not necessarily an excuse to, you know, get a new phone. Um, you can probably save a lot of money and reduce e-waste by just getting the battery replaced by either an Apple store or whoever your provider, whether it's a Google, an Android phone or whatever, um, or through a third-party company like you Break iFix. And that's you, the letter U as in uncle. You Break iFix. Yeah. 
U, letter U, break iFix. Uh, um, they say that they'll match any local competitor's published price for the same repair and beat it by five bucks. They also, in some cases, offer same-day repair for a lot of things, which is... That's cool. So, oh, there's one in San Rafael, so that's probably the closest oh, one that's nice. to us. Wow. But, but that's a, that's a, like a U-break walk, uh, iFix walk-in store? Is that the... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They have like 700 locations where oh, you can actually, can. and great. that's what I use in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. I yeah, just, yeah. I, I, I broke. I walked in. You broke. You walked. <laughs> they <Yes>. fixed. <laughs> yeah. We had a couple um, callers. Think, we had a couple callers oh, cool. calling, but we were in the midst of uh, one of our heated discussions here. Anyway, um, we will stay on top of the right to repair issue because it's really important to everybody, and I would like to see. You know, just in terms of 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 saving the e-waste to see that become more feasible, but things are getting harder to repair because the engineering and the manufacturing uh, techniques are getting so you know they're down to the level of quantum mechanics when they put these things together. You know, and they're often so modular. I mean, like electric cars, for example, have like you know three parts in their drivetrains. Oh, uh, you know, they have a motor and a gear. Yeah. And if something goes bad, you know, you don't take a t- transmission shop because there is no transmission, <laughs> right. no muffler. It's just, you know, they'll t- take out the motor and put in a different one. Yeah, that's uh, and send the other one back to China. 895-2448 if you want to get on the phone. Let's see, we have some, uh, we have some lights here. I'm going to see if we have callers. Uh, and we can um, go ahead and uh, check in on, uh, on the phones. All right, let's see if we have somebody here calling in. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Bob, this is Jamie. Hey, Jamie, how are you? Okay, pretty good. I'm hearing you through the headphones here. Um, So just wanted to briefly point out that there is a guy that repairs uh, iPhones right in Fort Bragg on Laurel Street. I can't remember the name of the business. It's on Laurel Street right next to that Italian restaurant. He's a really oh, nice guy. Yeah. I brought it in. I brought it in there. I had a problem with my phone where the plug wasn't working, you know. And I, you know, I, I, tra- I tra- tried different cords to charge plug, and and I couldn't get it to work. And I thought, oh, well, you know. Anyway, I brought it in there, and he immediately he looked at it, and he just sort of said, mm-hmm. And he brought out these little surgical tools, and he looked at it, and he looked at it, and he picked away at the uh, at the at the socket, and he. You know, I, there was some crap in there. Was what it was. That, Pocket lint. Uh, Pocket lint. Yeah, and, and he, you know, I don't even remember if he charged me. I mean, it was just such a minimal thing. But you know, anyway, he was he was really cool, and I thought he was a neat guy and uh, fair minded, and uh, I would recommend them. And, and it's right there in Fort Bragg. So, oh, that's, that's great. That's a great tip. Yeah, that's good to hear. And anybody that's had good experience with local repair places, we'd love to hear recommendations. I unfortunately have had not so good um, experiences. Somebody bricked my wife's iPhone, <laughs> uh, and uh, I think they just you know were maybe over their heads or didn't have enough experience or have enough. Tra- you know, you, you need a pretty pretty regular. You need a lot of traffic to build up the skills to do those kinds of things yeah. and have the experience. Anyway, yeah, I recommend it, and uh, I'd like to give him traffic. You know, and he's a young guy; he has his skateboard sitting on his desk, and you know. Well, I trust. Cool I trust him already. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Hey, thanks. And you'll be here hey, you'll be here live at eight yeah. o'clock. Coming yeah, right up on Radio Graham, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. It's gonna be a good show tonight. All right, thanks a lot. Cool. Thanks. Okay,
We have another call. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. Now, this has been at least 10 years ago, but um, in Portland, Oregon, there's this place. I went there and kind of poked around and worked for a day, but it's called Free Geek. Free Geek. And, um, you know, you, you could unload your old computers there. You could go there and build your own computer. You could work on it uh, in trade for getting a new put-together uh, computer. They took them apart and, you know, appropriately uh, dealt with and recycled all of the different parts and constituents. Anyway, I don't know if they've updated, you know, to, to current stuff, but what a great thing... Well, I love the, I love the place just starting out with the name Free Geek. <laughs> Free Geek, you should try and check them out. I because, think I will because that's the model that would actually work. Yeah. So you didn't have to, you know, order your all this iMac tools or whatever. Right. You these, but these centers, and you just show up, and so you could just be recycling your stuff. Yeah. Or you could like have like a young person could go in there and and. Uh, you know, learn some stuff and get it in trade to get some equipment. Anyway, it was a very cool thing. Check but, it out. But just the really cool. just your description of it immediately gave me the sense that it was community based, and that's the way this stuff should really be happening. You know, yeah. exactly. That's the only thing that makes people shouldn't sense. just throw their old com- old phones in the junk drawer and their old computers in the closet. They there should be a way to keep that stuff alive. Yeah, because there's like flipping whatever metals and components and stuff that, oh, yeah. that is actually it needs to be handled properly it does you know anyway it there does. you have it hey all right thank you very much for the call uh-huh. yeah good stuff i like that free geek well we're yeah, almost out of time is there anything we haven't covered tonight or is there anything there's a lot of things we haven't covered well, but. <laughs> there are innumerable things we haven't covered but uh i think we hit the high points like two weeks from today we'll have the uh, highlights of the apple uh, worldwide developers conference and and share news about any new hardware that has been introduced and what new features might come in the newest versions of the operating systems from apple um and uh, and as always, we'll keep you ta- keep you informed on goings on in the digital domain and take your calls and questions. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZYX Philo ninety point seven FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah ninety one point five FM, and Fort Bragg at eighty eight point one FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.